A very good morning to you. You're listening to Channel Africa, the voice of the African Renaissance. We are currently on the 9625 kHz on the 31-meter band to Southern Africa. In the headlines, Pope Francis meets with Congolese President Joseph Kabila at the Vatican. South Africa joins a global United Nations initiative to prevent and address human trafficking and migrant smuggling and more than 6 million global deaths as a result of air pollution. Um, and Musa, a very good morning to you. Pope Francis has met with Congolese President Joseph Kabila with the Vatican, insisting that Kabila's government use respectful dialogue to end violent clashes with opposition forces over delayed elections. Clashes erupted between security forces and demonstrators after the DRC's Electoral Commission said that the November presidential vote wouldn't be possible and a court determined Kabila could stay in power until another election was organized. The Vatican says the Pope and the Vatican Foreign Minister insisted on dialogue among politicians, civil and religious authorities to ensure peace and the common good. South Africa has joined a global United Nations initiative to prevent and address human trafficking and migrant smuggling. The UN Office on Drugs and Crime has partnered with other UN agencies and the European Union to develop and implement effective responses to these crimes. According to the UN estimates, there are at least 700,000 trafficked victims globally each year. Meanwhile, South Africa's Minister of Home Affairs, Melusi Kigaba, appealed to regional partners not to turn a blind eye as offenders undermine and evade law enforcement, criminal justice and social welfare systems. The South African government has warned that protesting students to break the law will have to face the courts. It's called on them to explore more peaceful avenues than the recent violence on many campuses. Protests over plant fee increases have spread to more universities across South Africa. Acting Director General at the Government Communication and Information Systems, Donald Tupoko, says the South African government remains committed to improving the funding landscape for students. We're quite concerned about the spiraling violence. We've been urging that students should really avoid destruction of property, to be level-headed, to respect university properties as leaders of the future. And we are encouraging young people not to become involved in, in criminal offences. Should this occur, obviously the law enforcement authorities will have no choice but take the relevant steps. Young people will tell you it is extremely difficult to go into the formal working environment, the criminal record. And this is something that we would really ask young people to consider seriously. The World Food Programme has confirmed that aid has been delivered to besieged families in four Syrian towns. A joint interagency convoy arrived in Madeya and Zabadani in rural Damascus, Fuwa and Kafreya in rural Adlib on Sunday. The World Food Programme sent 45 trucks carrying rations containing a range of staple foods. 30% of the distributions are carried out in areas that are not reachable through regular road deliveries. 
And finally, the World Health Organization says more than 6 million deaths, that's one in nine globally, are due to exposure to indoor and outdoor air pollution. The people most affected are women, children and older adults. A new model shows countries where the danger spots are and provides a baseline for monitoring progress in combating it. Jocelyn Zambira reports. For people to be healthy, they must breathe clean air from their first breath to their last, according to Dr. Flavia Bustreo, Assistant Director General at WHO. Inefficient modes of transport, household fuel, waste burning, coal-fired power plants, and industrial activities are all major sources of air pollution. However, not all air pollution originates from human activity. Air quality can also be influenced by dust storms, particularly in regions close to deserts. Recapping the top stories, Pope Francis meets with the Congolese President, Joseph Kabila, the Vatican. South Africa joins a global United Nations initiative to prevent and address human trafficking and migrant smuggling, and more than 6 million deaths globally are as a result of air pollution. African Dialogue, looking at different events in depth, discussing a variety of issues. What we see here is a clear violation of one, the right to privacy of Tiwonge and uh, Stephen. The position of Greenpeace is that it's been a disappointing meeting. Now servicing to the continent, thank you for being there on the frequency 9625 kilohertz on the 31 meter band to southern Africa. Don't forget that other platform on DSTV on the audio bouquet on channel 802. We're still right here at the conference on our second day at the Convention on International Trade in Endangered Species. That's the CITES COP17 conference, which is right here. Still continuing at the Centon Convention Center in Johannesburg. It started on Saturday where the president of uh, South Africa, Jacob Zuma, opened the sessions. And uh, right now, we're going to be looking at uh, really other issues, what recommendations are taking place, and also just moving away from, trying to move away from the ivory conversations because we've been talking about that very long. So we want to just move on a little bit. But we're going to start the conversation with uh, uh, the Secretary General at the Secretariat of the Convention on International Trade in Endangered Species of wild fauna and flora, uh, John E. Scanlon, who is joining us right now for a few minutes. I know it's a busy schedule for you, Mr. Scanlon, but tell me a little bit about what are your kind of uh, assertions, your views on how things have been going so far and uh, the progress that's been made. I know there's still a lot of work to be done until next week, but your thoughts on the first few sessions we've seen since the opening? Well, firstly, South Africa set the scene beautifully. There was a fantastic opening ceremony with President Zuma, Minister Malewa. We had the people dancing on stage, <laughs> a street party. We felt the rhythm of South Africa, yeah? It was sure. fantastic. Sure. So we got off to a good start there. People in a good mood. 
the agenda's kicked off. We went voting very fast. We're not yeah. going to talk about that, but that was some <laughs> of the elephant uh, ivory issues. Sure. There's a really exciting debate going on at the moment, and that is that how does CITES better engage with local and rural communities mm. in managing wildlife? I've just stepped out of the conference room, rich discussion. We need to do that. It has been a gap in CITES in how we have directly engaged with these communities. The issue is how do we do that? Sure. That's being thrashed out on the floor now. If you step into the other committee, they had a great discussion yesterday on eels. Wow. And uh, how, you know, the eels are eaten, but they're being eaten a bit too fast, yeah. eaten faster than they can reproduce. Sure. So how do you ensure we can sustainably uh, consume eels so we don't yeah. eat them out of existence? Yeah. And the other discussion on sharks and rays. Really interesting discussion. Thresher shark, silky shark, the devil ray. Should they come under CITES trade control? How are we dealing with marine species? So a lot going on and a lot more coming up. And in terms of uh, the debate, in terms of uh, the whole idea that we need to actually move beyond the idea of just speaking about trade, but also not letting the trade issue override the issue of preservation and conservation. Um, what are your thoughts around those conversations? Because there have been some concerns this time around that there seems to be a lot of emphasis on the trade issue. Well, CITES regulates international trade, so sure. we get a lot of emphasis on trade for good sure, reason. Sure. But I think what people are saying is that we need to look at trade in a broader perspective. Sure. So you have some species where there's no commercial trade, but that's only 3% of the 35,000 species that we regulate. The other 97% you can trade. So the issue is how do you ensure well-regulated, sustainable trade where local communities and rural communities benefit, but in the broader context of wildlife management? completely legitimate, good discussion, put our work in context of broader efforts to engage communities in wildlife management. Mm. Really rich, very helpful, very useful discussion. Mm. Just wrapping it up, because I know you have to go back into the sessions themselves. This is one of the biggest events of CITES. The, the numbers of the people and the participants this time around is the biggest. I'm sure we want, we want to actually take things forward because this is an opportunity this time around. What do you want to see as the United Nations in this regard moving forward in this issue? Well, I think it got uh, kicked off very well on the 23rd of September. Minister Malewa had a high-level event, the largest one we've had. As you said, this is the biggest meeting, but the pre-meeting was the biggest as well. She attracted about 50 ministers. Where does CITES fit in the context of the Agenda 2030, the Sustainable Development Goals? Sure, sure. So we've set it off saying, let's look at what CITES does. We're looking at regulation of 500 species here, rural communities. We're looking at many species. But where does that fit in the overall picture of what the global community is trying to achieve? Minister... Uh, Malewa kicked that off beautifully, and that's penetrating all discussions here. Where do we fit in the broader, broader scheme of things? That's very good. Fantastic. Thank you to you, uh, John Scanlon. Thank you for giving us time to speak to you. And I know you're busy um, moving around, speaking to different people. Also, you've got your own agenda also to fulfill this time around. Thank you for giving us just a few minutes just to give us your context and uh, also the views on different uh, levels. That is um, the Secretary General of the Secretariat of the Convention on International Trade in Endangered Species of Wild Fauna and Flora, John E. Scanlon. Thank you for giving us your time. We're going to take a quick break and then we'll be back with more conversations around the other areas. We're not going to be talking about ivory today. We're not going to talk about really the whole trade issue of ivory. We want to move away into other areas today. Uh, we think that's also an important thing to be looking at. Uh, let's go back to our Johannesburg studios and then we'll touch base with you after this. We have great news for you. Channel Africa has gone mobile. If you have a cell phone, you can now download the mobile app for Android. 
you can get it on Google Play. Get the latest news from Africa. Get the Channel Africa app. Channel Africa, the voice of the African Renaissance. Good news for listeners in America. You can now listen to Channel Africa by phoning 605-47-1711. So, if you're a Channel Africa listener in America, simply dial 605-47-1711. Channel Africa, the voice of the African Renaissance. Well, yesterday we were talking about the African agenda and the conversations that are happening on the African front. And uh, uh, that was a huge conversation that was taking place yesterday, especially when it comes to uh, the power block of Africa and its authority in terms of speaking about what they would like to see themselves as an autonomous power block in making these particular decisions. But we thought today, let's move on and see what's happening in other dynamics around the world, because we know the ecosystem has nothing to do with borders and barriers. It's all about we live in one world, so we can't really isolate ourselves as a continent. So um, we're going to broaden the conversation on seeing what's happening in other areas on uh, uh, in the world and we've got Raquel Cassia who is uh, joining us as the head of a public policy at uh, the Animal Advocacy and Protection and also I have Maxi Miliano Bello who is uh, joining us from the Pew Charitable Trust. He's the senior officer of International Ocean Policy there. Uh, Raquel, let's start the conversation with you ladies first. I'm sure uh, Maximiliano <laughs> agrees with me Thank there. Um, let's talk about just what the AA do where are you from necessarily in the world and just tell us a little bit why are you here at this time, this this CITES? Well, first of all, thanks for having me. Sure. It's, a, it's a pleasure to be talking to the African, African continent. Um, well, I'm originally from Spain, but I live in the Netherlands, and sure. I work for a rescue center for exotic animals, mostly mammals. We have two centers in the Netherlands and in Spain, and there we rescue fauna that comes from all places in the world via the illegal trade, among other sources. Yeah, in terms of uh, exotic animals, um, what is actually important about them in terms of the ecosystem? Why should we be even caring as the world for exotic animals? And tell us a little bit about also the dangerous trends that we're starting to see maybe in Europe. Well, we work a lot on the issue of exotic pets. The exotic pet trade, legal and illegal, it's really exploding uh, in Europe but also throughout the world. And what we see is that this trade is having immense impact in different, uh, different ecosystems uh, in Northern Africa, in the Caribbean, in Latin America in Europe itself. Um, moreover, there are dangers also for just human beings uh, stemming from this trade because these animals come unquarantined with all sorts of illnesses that can be very dangerous animals. That is a very, very concerning trade uh, trend Sorry, that we're seeing in our rescue center. Yeah, very interesting. And, and I'll come back to why this particular site is also important to push that particular agenda. What recommendations we'd like to see moving forward in that regard or what is actually being put forward when it comes to uh, exotic animals. And I want to come to you, Maximiliano Bello, who is from the Pew Charitable Trust. You've got a yes. great team there to stand and uh, we're looking at uh, the, uh, the endangered uh, uh, approach of the environment in terms of the sharks yeah. and uh, we actually we're not actually uh, 
going to speak about sharks in this uh, particular uh, program. But uh, when your team explained how endangered the shark is becoming because it doesn't reproduce as quick as other... Uh, ocean species. It was very interesting to see where that conversation was going. Just give us a little bit of a backdrop of what you do at the Pew Charitable Trust and the conversation happening around sharks. Yeah, well, the the Pew is um, an NGO, and thank you very much also for inviting me. Uh, The Pew is um, an NGO. We are based in the U.S., uh, but we have offices in other places around the world, and we work with a lot of consultants as well. But um, we've been uh, focusing our work on uh, marine conservation in general. Sure. Um, uh, sharks are a very important species, key species for the oceans. Um, they've been for more than 400 million years uh, in the ocean, which means that they've been before the uh, dinosaurs even. And therefore, they're very important for the equilibrium of the uh, ecosystems. Um, it, the the issue, as you as you said, is we've been actually taking more sharks than they can actually reproduce. Mm-hmm. Some of the numbers, and these are conservative numbers, are around 100 million sharks are been taken every year, mm-hmm. mainly for the trade of the fins, mm-hmm. uh, which is another thing as well because the fins are actually um, taken for um, making a soup in Asia, mm-hmm. uh, which is ba- basically a very luxurious item Mm. Um, then also there's no nutritional value on that Mm. and uh, and so we are being basically over exploiting most of the species some of the species for example and 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 three years ago we actually had important uh, progress on on sharks as well on the on the previous cup we uh, on the hammerheads for example Mm. uh, hammerheads which are one of the most valuable um, uh, species for the trade of uh, of their fins um, they've been going down uh, further than 90%. Wow, uh, that means wow, that they, wow. they only remain around 10 or less percent in the oceans. And these are species that are really important uh, for the equilibrium of the, uh, of the environment. Now, in terms of looking at the importance of uh, the recommendations, because of the issue that I was highlighting to John E. Scanlon, the fact that you know this is one of the biggest societies we've seen, and so many uh, countries and organizations are represented this time around. In terms of looking at the area of exotic animals from, from your side, uh, Raquel, what do you want to see put forward, especially with the recommendations as we move from tomorrow? We know things are going to start accelerating very much when it comes to recommendations. Uh, your thoughts there, what, what your organization would like to see? Well, we're here working mostly on a proposal to list uh, an endangered primate, the only macaque outside Asia, the Barbary macaque, which lives in the forests of uh, Morocco and Algeria mostly, okay. to transfer it to Appendix one. And the population of these species has been really decimated due to the international pet trade. Mm-hmm. And this having huge impact on the ecosystem in Morocco and Algeria because they play a very big role in the forest conservation. Mm-hmm. And to add the human dimension of that, I would like to remind our listeners that um, in the forests of Morocco, we have the 40% of the water, the fr- sorry, the fresh water supply for Morocco mm-hmm. comes from there. Sure. An unhealthy forest because there are no more monkeys means that people don't have water to drink. Mm. This is something that we see throughout species, throughout continents. We are all integrated. What you were saying at the beginning, Ben, is one planet. Mm. We're one ecosystem globally, Mm. and we have to protect each and one of those elements. So that's Mm. what we would like to see is more attention for these species that have been very obscured up until now. They're not Mm. elephants, uh, rhinos, or chimpanzees, Mm. or... 
make them uh, visible because they are also important for other reasons. Mm. Your, your thoughts on, on some of the recommendations, especially when it comes to the shark? Well, we are very hopeful actually on the on the sharks. I think the the last COP actually we had a, a great successful meeting and and it's been as even John Scallon said um, before, uh, it's been an incredible effort uh, during these three years on implementation of this species. Um, they're highly traded and still uh, countries are being work have been working very hard on trying to implement these uh, proposals, the previous ones. And so therefore, I mean. I think we have great opportunities here. I think there is a great opportunity to show uh, that we care about the oceans as well. It's been like one, two or two years actually of a lot of effort in different fora as well around the world on, on oceans. Um, I think the, the humanity, I see a little bit of a change mm. on looking at the ocean in a different way. Uh, most of our protein yeah. comes from the oceans as well. In, and in general, I would say... Um, we also believe, uh, and, and as Raquel said before too, that this is part of a much bigger effort. Mm. Um, CITES is not the silver bullet. Yes, um, we're not going to solve all, all problems here. Um, that's for sure. We have a lot to do on fisheries, for example, mm. um, on RFMOs, the uh, Regional Fisheries Administration organizations that uh, also take care of resources by uh, fisheries management. Um, their uh, local or national uh, legislation as well, as well, that plays an important role. Communities have to be involved on all of these decisions too. I think that is a, a more holistic sort of a point of view and, and we hope CITES is going to help to get there. Mm. Well, we need to wrap it up. And uh, I'd, I'd like to, to ask the question in terms of, um, you know, in terms of all the animals getting a voice and getting that kind of um, someone to speak for them, um, that's what CITES is in a way. That's the kind of the experience I've had with the CITES, my first uh, CITES. And you're kind of getting a, a human voice for these particular species. Raquel, you know, how important is that we must give each animal its own voice equally and not have others override the other, for instance? Well, for us, it's a really important point. We, we think that all wildlife matters. And, of course, we care about elephants and we care about rhinos and my colleagues are going around crazy lobbying for lions. Sure, sure. Um, but we believe that this, this particular primate and many other species also have a very important role to, p to play in international conservation, in international trade, and also in animal welfare, which mm. let's not forget, it's also a component of what we do here. Mm. Well, we're going to take a quick break and uh, then uh, we're going to come back and see if we can get uh, other animals to be represented on our program. And if you're listening to us uh, on uh, DSTV, remember we're on Channel 802 on the Central African Republic. Uh, and um, if you listening to us uh, via um, the frequency 9625 kilohertz on the 31 meter uh, band to Southern Africa. That's our shortwave uh, service. And don't forget that you can stream us live on www.channelafrica.co.za. Maximiliano, did you yeah, want to say I something? Yeah, I, I think it. Uh, taking this opportunity and thank you so much for giving us this opportunity actually I, we really hope that South Africa is going to support the shark proposals sure. I, I think there is a, an important I mean you have an incredible tourism on shark you have a much different relation as well mm. um, and I think you, South Africa can play an incredible role and we are hoping that they are going to be very vocal on this thank you. Fantastic, we're going to take a quick break back to our Johannesburg studios and we'll be back in a few minutes 
Change your game. Your game. Be the voice of young African entrepreneurs. Change your game. Your game. A program that promotes open discussion. Change your game. We bring social dialogue as we highlight real issues in the global entrepreneurship ecosystem. Our mission is to produce relevant and vibrant content and conduct interviews with dynamic stakeholders within the African entrepreneurial ecosystem that informs, educates and entertains and empowers young African entrepreneurs. Change your game. Change your game. Empowering the next generation of outstanding African entrepreneurs. Tune in on Fridays, 1000 hours to 10:45 a.m. Central African time, and on Saturdays, 1300 hours to 1400 hours Central African time. Channel Africa, the voice of the African Renaissance. Yes, you are listening to Channel Africa, uh, the voice of uh, the African Renaissance. And uh, thank you for joining us. We started the conversation uh, today with uh, uh, the Secretary General, uh, John Scanlon, which was fantastic. He's the Secretariat of the Convention on International Trade on Endangered Species of Wild Fauna and Flora. And we know that that's a United Nations uh, body there. And we've been speaking about other species. We know the conversation has seemed to have dominated uh, in terms of speaking about uh, ivory and the trade of ivory on the African continent, uh, we seem to be moving away a little bit and look at other conversations that are taking place there. I think it's a very important to be speaking about some of the other areas. Uh, we ran into Nikki Wright in uh, the exhibition area. Uh, she's from the African Pangolin Working Group because we wanted to give other animals a voice and we were, we, we were so desperate to be speaking to you, Nikki. So Thank it's you. great to be having you here because you. it seems the elephant and the, the rhino have been getting the big voice, but we want to get other voices to have a space in our program tell us a little bit about the pangolin for people who don't understand the pangolin i think it's one of the most misunderstood and maybe uh, one of those peripheral animals that we don't really focus on sure. and it's almost got this kind of a cartoonish image but it's an important uh, animal isn't it yes it is well the pangolin we like to say is the most uh, poached mammal you've never heard of no. so it's it's um the only mammal on earth which has scales. Mm. Um, it's a secretive, quiet, solitary animal mm. which eats ants and termites. Mm. And it's currently the most illegally traded mammal on earth. Why is it so illegally traded? And why is it the most... What are people looking for? Okay, so in Africa, it's, it's been used as bushmeat um, mm. and for medicinal um, belief systems mm. um, um, historically. Um, but of course now there's a there's a huge Asian demand. We have four species of pangolin in Africa, mm. and there are four species of pangolin in Asia. Those numbers have really uh, been depleted, so now their attention is to turned to Africa. So the African species are are um, being poached and taken over to Asia. Mm. You know, it's so sad to see that um, th- this is actually happening to animals and. Mm. Asia seems to be a very much a big market for this. And uh, how do we turn the situation around, especially for the pangolin? Why is this COP very important for the pangolin? Well, it's important because we're trying to get all eight species uplisted to Appendix 1, okay. um, which will protect them because um, they are all um, becoming extinct. Mm-hmm. Um, and it will um, protect them in terms of, of not being allowed to be traded. So... Um, 
you know, any protection we can afford the species, um, we have to push for, um, you know, as well as all the other um, actions that we're taking to protect them on the ground. Well, we also have uh, back into our studio Dr. Richard Thomas, who's from uh, Traffic. He's the Global Communications Coordinator. Thank you for joining us once again in terms of the conversation. Uh, we, were speak- we were speaking to you earlier on, and you gave us this nice sound of a bird. And I don't know if they still have it in, in our studios, but when I try play it, it's a, it's a fascinating sound. And we were just chuckling as well because of how how kind of playful it is and um, kind of fantastic it is. Uh, I don't know if we, the, the studios in Johannesburg can, can play us the studio that we sent back to them. That's oh, lovely, isn't it? You wait, you wait for the end. <laughs> Keep it there. Keep it going, guys. coming, it's coming. <laughs> there we go. <laughs> Fantastic. Tell us a little bit about that bird. And uh, uh, that was such a fun moment that we heard earlier on. Well, that uh, sound is absolutely evocative of the <laughs> rainforests of Southeast Asia. Sure. I mean, you know that's where you are when you hear that bird call. Uh, it's a bit like you've got the harder our ibis over here. You can hear it around Johannesburg. Sure, sure. You associate it with the place. <laughs> but uh, when you hear that noise, you know you're in rainforest. And uh, this is a bird. It's a remarkable bird. Uh, it's uh, a frugivore. Yeah. So it feeds on uh, figs mainly. Mm-hmm. And it's actually cr- crucial to the uh, very existence of the rainforest yeah. because the bird eats figs. They pass through the system. And the bird, of course, flies off, and its droppings disperse all the fig tree ah. seeds. And so if you take away the bird, you're threatening the whole ecosystem of the rainforest. And that's really important reason why this bird must be protected. But sadly, it's, it's very much under threat. Mm. And it's under threat because uh, it's the only hornbill in the world that the, the so-called cask, and that's the big lump on top of the beak, mm. uh, is actually solid. And it's made of solid keratin. Mm-hmm. And this is a very hard substance that can be uh, carved, very much like ivory is carved. Sure. So it's used as a substitute. It's, it's uh, slightly uh, redder than, than uh, elephant uh, ivory. Mm-hmm. Uh, and it's becoming in great demand. Uh, I mean, there's a centuries-old trade. You know, the, the hornbill uh, casts have been carved mm-hmm. since uh, the 1600s. Mm-hmm. But uh, in recent years, we've seen a massive increase in demand for these casks uh, to be um, uh, made into objects, belt buckles, all kinds of things they can be uh, um, carved into. Uh, And the demand is coming mainly from uh, China. Mm. And we're seeing uh, large numbers of hornbills being uh, poached Mm. in their range countries, principally uh, Indonesia. Mm. Uh, But also uh, there's birds in, in Thailand and Malaysia. And... For example, over a two-year period, we saw more than t- found that there were more than 2,100 hornbill casks or mm. heads uh, seized in trade, mm. uh, and that's likely only to be a small representation of how many birds are being taken out. Wow. And these are these are big birds. They slowly, you know, they reproduce very slowly, sure. uh, and that can have a very significant impact on the population, mm. which, as we just, as I said earlier, has an impact on the whole rainforest ecosystem. Mm. Mm. You know, in, in terms of, it's such a 
huge world that we're speaking about, that we're speaking of, because it's an ecosystem issue that we are speaking about. And this, this entire relationship between human beings, the environment, mammals, fishery, the oceans, you know, in terms of what we have to look after as, as a human population, it seems like we're decontentizing ourselves and slowly losing this heritage and this lifespan that we actually require. And coming back to you, Nikki, is, is the issue of what do we need to do more to accelerate this process of preservation of animals that are slowly but surely becoming extinct? And it's not even slowly anymore. It's becoming more rapid yeah. as we move on. Yeah, well, that's the problem. I mean, with pangolin um, specifically, it's it's a... It's a uh, they, they really are just vanishing very quickly. I mean, the the, the trade is is completely unsustainable. Mm. When you're looking at the tonnage that's that's being picked up, um, you know, in, in Hong Kong and and various other ports, mm. um, and seizures that are being done, and mm. those are the seizures that are being those are the the, the um, exports that are being uh, intercepted. Sure. So you know, heaven knows how how many aren't. Mm. Um, so I mean, it's said that. In the last decade, there have been over a million pangolin poached. You know, we don't know what their numbers are. You know, you can see rhino and you can see elephant mm. and a lot of these other animals, but mm. you can't see pangolin, you can't count them. Mm. So we, we really don't know how many are left in the wild in any of the range states. Um, we are not sure of exactly how many are being poached, but we know the numbers are vast. Mm. They really are. They're obscene. Mm. Um, amounts of animals are going... Um, so all we can do is continue doing what we do and mm. and try and um, you know do everything that we're possibly doing from a legal point of view, mm. from a conservation point of view, from mm. a scientific point of view, um, education. Mm. Try and exploit all our all the various options, means that we can, so. all the options. Yeah. Dr. Mm. Thomas, is the hope in this rescue mission that we are after right now? Of course there's hope. There's always mm. hope. Well, there's life, there's hope. <laughs> sure. um, so I guess if we, we didn't believe that, we wouldn't be yeah, here. Yeah, sure. Um, and this, you know, this is uh, a unique opportunity to really get governments, you know, to put these issues in front of them and say, come on, guys, we've got to address this mm-hmm. collectively. We've mm-hmm. all got to get round and come up with viable solutions and implement them. Mm-hmm. Well, I'm going to wrap it up. In terms of... a you know, I was asking the, our previous guest uh, in terms of accelerating this process, and I think you, you also highlighted just the different avenues that we can work. We need kind of this uh, combination of methods that we need to use, but also we need a unified political will, not only from um, governments themselves, but also from uh, the private sector as well, mm-hmm. also from mm-hmm. community members as well, mm-hmm. where these uh, animals are. But, you know, what message should we be sending out to um, ordinary people out there for them to be aware as well because for me I was conscientized coming here and uh, my knowledge of it was very minimized and I wasn't so much aware that it was so huge I mean the pangolin for instance I thought it was just uh, another animal I didn't know it was coming to an instinct such a rapid space but surely there's more that we can do in terms of people knowledge and people understanding mm-hmm. uh, the frustrating point that we're finding ourselves in now? Well, uh, you mentioned it. I mean, the real key to solving a lot of these problems are the local communities, the people who are living close and with and around this wildlife. Mm-hmm. Because they, they can see it at first hand, what's happening mm-hmm. when their animals are disappearing around them. Mm-hmm. They're not, you know, detached. Maybe some of these, uh, you know, the big government departments, they're living uh, and, and not actually out mm-hmm. there in the habitat where these things are happening. 
And so local communities, they are the real key. They can help save species. Mm. And integrating those communities, is it that easy? Because in a space like South Africa, some of these parks are very much privatized. Mm. Um, and maybe that's where the issue is as well, that where we need to look into that. Who's monitoring these privatized parks as well? I think a lot of the private parks do a lot of education and they do a lot of community outreach. Okay. Um, and throughout Africa, the pangolin is a revered species, mm. you know, uh, culturally, mm. um, and it always has been. And I think that's probably one of our key um, um, starting points um, or, or areas that we can include communities in because it's, it's vital. Without the communities who are living with these animals, um, you know, we've got no, no hope. So we have mm. to engage everybody. And also explain to people, you know, um, ex- almost exploit their cultural um, heritage because yeah. um, a lot of people have moved away from the, the rural areas or from mm-hmm. the rainforest or from the, the, the cultural sort of roots and they, they don't understand, they don't realize. Mm-hmm. I've seen it time and time again just, just working our, our booth, our pangolin booth, booth downstairs. It's mm-hmm. um, People are, are reconnecting with the animal because they're looking at the visuals in our booth and, they're, mm-hmm. and we're talking to them about it mm-hmm. and they're remembering. Mm-hmm. And I think that's, that's a good... Um, starting point with with cultural beliefs reminding people Mm. and 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 encouraging them to revere the animal again Mm. and i love the idea of that emotional um connection to these animals Mm. because i i spoke to another guest yesterday and uh, we we were very kind of reminiscent about these animals Mm -hmm. and because we be living in such an industrialized space where more and more we're becoming more urbanized, we're moving away from these environments. And, and that connection that, Nikki, maybe is just what we need, Dr. Thomas. I think it's a very, very important part of yeah. human existence. I mean, people need nature and, and nature needs people, you know. Um, and, and, you know, a world without uh, that amazing sound of the helmeted hornbill is just... You know, unconscionable. I mean, it's just not something that uh, we can uh, expect to happen. Mm. But do you think with, with that threat of that urbanization, we could be moving away from that space? Well, that's obviously a constant danger. I mean, uh, it, it's a, in the longer term, we're going to have to look at uh, how to deal with the, the expanding human population and the increased pressure that that puts on the natural environment. Mm. Uh, and it's going to become more and more of an issue in the coming years. Well, that's how we're going to wrap it up. But I want to hear that sound once again. I kind of really (laughs) enjoyed it. And I I think we can just play it once again, just as a sentimental value uh, to this conversation. Uh, Let's hear it once again. There we go. Ah, there we go. It's beautiful. It's fantastic. (laughs)
you know we've got we've got so much to be grateful for for what we have in in, in our planet and um, you know this just makes me realize how fortunate we are and how we can actually do more to actually open our eyes because I think more and more we become blinded we become so uh, focused on our uh, iPhones and we're living on the TV screen and we need to get out there and, and actually experience what this real energy of life is is all about and uh, thank you to our guests who, who came into our studio and our stand it's, it's been fantastic to hear the different voices of the different animals and it's, it's fantastic to, to be here once again thank you to Nick Uriah who is uh, from the African Pangolin uh, Working Group and uh, thank you to Dr. Richard Thomas who is uh, the Global uh, Communications Coordinator of Traffic which is uh, the Wildlife Trade Monitoring uh, uh, Network and uh, we're going to just uh, wrap it up and take it back to our studios we've been trying very hard to get also officials and ministers and government officials we'll be back next week uh, Tuesday to see maybe if we can get official voices around the conversations that we've been having so we'll work hard on that And uh, but today it's been fantastic to hear other com- conversations that are happening but for me, Benjamin Moshatama until next time, God bless
It's 11.45 Central African Time on Channel Africa with the Economics Update. I'm Jolani Tulo. Zimbabwean companies face increasing problems in making international